you're at a deer camp, weekend number two. And Uncle Bill pulls out a picture on you. Always the antagonist, he's looking to throw digs at the Christians in the family. And let me show you the picture that he begins to pass around. A very famous picture. Photographed somewhere in the early 1920s. And they believe it's in the city of Portland. Uh, It's the robed and hooded Ku Klux Klan members. And on stage, there's also what's called the Royal Riders of the Red Robe. They were kind of a secondary group of foreign-born Protestants. But I assume that you see in that back banner, Jesus saves. See, it testifies to the hypocrisy in some churches, even on this topic of real racism. And Uncle Bill turns to you, though. After you look at the picture, in all seriousness, he says this. You know, I would consider your religion, but Christianity, Christianity has such a history of hypocrisy. And the church is so filled with hypocrites. And you turn to Uncle Bill and you say, what? If you're new, coming down to the end, have a couple more weeks of topics titled Big Objections, I Would Believe But. Let me show you one of the theme verses that we have for this series, 1 Peter 3.15. How do we live this verse out? But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Today we come to a challenging issue, the belief of hypocrisy. Matter of fact, it ranks kind of at the top of why so many people refuse to take Christ seriously, and especially the church. But phrased another way, the objection is, say, if Christianity is really supposed to change people, then why don't Christians live more like Jesus lived? So is it true? That the church is just overflowing with people that are filled with hypocrisy. What would your response to Uncle Bill be? Or, you know, maybe you're here today and you've had this same thought. Now, let me give you the normal, the typical response to this question And it goes something like this. Uncle Bill, being a Christian does not mean we're any better than the unbelievers. We're just as sick as anyone else. We need a doctor and we've just found the right doctor. We're all broken. We're all miserable failures. And that's kind of the typical pathway that most people had. Matter of fact, as I was digging here, I, I realized that's what I would have started with before I studied this week. But think about that a moment, what it actually communicates. It gives the idea that we are the same as the world. And you go, is that biblical? Is that really biblical? Second implies that we found a doctor, but we're no healthier than those who don't have one. What good is a doctor if you're no different? You've seen the doctor and we're no better off than the folks in the waiting room. 
in the emergency room. Is that really what we want to communicate? Another phrase that's thrown out there oftentimes, we're just beggars who have found the bread. But listen, are we still malnourished? Just like the starving world, that would mean that the bread hasn't done anything for us. Now, I realize when we respond that way, in many ways we're trying to disarm people. I acknowledge that. But I think we have to realize what these people mean when they accuse us of hypocrisy. And I don't think it should be missed. I think they have met far too many people that who claim to be followers of Jesus and are absolutely no different and in many ways are worse. They find that some of these Christians are liars and cheaters and Christians that are grouchy and they get angry very quick. Or matter of fact, I think a huge one is their work ethic on the job. But see, what if they're, they keep bumping into Christians that gossip with the best of them? And the bottom line is people who claim to follow Christ, they're kind of their bottom line statement. They're just not that loving. They're not that kind. They're not that gentle. So what do we do? What do we do when people say this kind of thing? Well, let me give you about six responses here today. Just to walk through, and I hope what it does, it, it challenges us, really to walk toward Christ in a new way. But if you're following along in the bulletin outline, I said this for number one. I, I think we're to individually examine ourselves to see if it's true. I think that's the starting point. Now, you've got to catch something. As we relate to people, Yeah, I understand our homes, but when we're out in the world, when we're working with people, when we're with relatives, a large group of people, do we realize that we are developing a reputation? People look at us and make conclusions. It's just the way it is. It's the way the world works. And do we understand that as we dig into our own lives... What do other people say about us, our spouses, our children, our grown children, our co-workers? See, do those that are, close to, that are close to us, do they see a level of hypocrisy there? Now, understand, I'm not saying perfection at all. I think most people agree, you're not going to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect. But let me just give you the definition of of hypocrisy from Webster's. It's a person who puts on a false appearance of virtue or religion. A person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. So how about the response to Uncle Bill? Here's Here's one way you could do it. Uncle Bill... Would you put that, would you put me in that category as a hypocrite? Would you say that about my life? How about starting with letting Uncle Bill hold up a mirror to our hearts and our lives? Now, right now you're thinking, let's just avoid the Uncle Bills out there. That's a lot easier. 
But the problem with that, as we run from that, we have a mission. God has given us a mission, and it's to give Uncle Bill Jesus. And avoiding him will never give him Christ. So I've come to believe this, that implying that we're just the same as the world actually is a poor response. So I don't think we're convinced, I'm not convinced that we're to not promote and champion a powerless gospel. We don't have a powerless gospel. And it almost dismisses the work that the Holy Spirit has done and is doing in this world. But the truth is, I think we need men and women and children who, are, who were once far from Jesus to be, have lives that are different, to be changed. They're not seeing perfection, but they're seeing change. And maybe the starting point is for us to actually begin by repenting that the hypocrisy is too often true. And allow the Holy Spirit to hold up a mirror and to start a new work in our hearts. But what if people could see change? What if people move from being a bad employee to a good hard worker? Or for, from being a boss who no one likes to be around to one who goes, I want to work for that man. See, what if that actually was happening in the world? What if we were becoming people who used to gossip and now we're giving words of life and encouragement? What if they watched us and regularly heard this from our mouths? Would you forgive me when we sin, when we hurt people? Matter of fact, let me show you a very hard passage Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 7, I think it applies here. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck of your brother's eye. See, is there a log that's poking out of our eyes? And we might just need to ask Uncle Bill, and Uncle Bill might be used by God to transform our hearts in a new way. Now, are we going to be perfect? No. God's not done with us, and we thank goodness for the grace of God, but I still look at my own life and the number of times I don't love well, where selfishness rules. We hold up a mirror and say, Holy Spirit, work. But let me give you another response that I think we need to communicate and communicate this with boldness. Number two, I think to remind them that Christianity stands and falls on the person of Jesus. See, we can proclaim loudly and often that Christianity is about a man, Jesus. And Jesus was not a hypocrite. See, when we fail, recognize it really isn't the point. It's about the one that we follow. That's what Christianity is about. Matter of fact, look at John chapter 8. Interesting text. He is in a debate, more than a debate. He's in a confrontation with the Pharisees here. And a couple of verses earlier, he accused them accused them of being basically children of Satan. 
And then he comes here in verse chapter 8, verse 46. Look, look what he says to them. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? You got to catch this. They could not convict him of a sin. Our faith is about a savior, about Jesus who was sinless. No hypocrisy. The one we follow actually had no hypocrisy. He lived consistently by the things that he taught. And he invites them, tell me where I'm wrong. And they were silent. That is the one we follow. Therefore, I think with boldness, listen, boldness, but with gentleness and respect and grace, we need to tell people that Christianity depends on Jesus. It's about relationship with Christ. And it's not a valid criticism to invalidate Christian faith by pointing to the horrible things that the followers have done or followers that have claimed to follow him. See, now, I reckon this does not excuse hypocrisy in the church, but it does mean that there's not a sufficient reason to reject Jesus because of us. Now, I recognize if you listen to the media, to schools and teachers, the Inquisition, the Crusades, they all try to use those things to invalidate Christianity. And one of the things I discovered from multiple sources out there is how often in the media world they get their facts wrong. You want to do some research there. Just dig into it just a little bit. People are careless with history when it comes to the church. Matter of fact, Dan Brown for the Da Vinci Codes uses some stuff that just is not accurate at all. Now, it's understandable. You know, Satan wants to push back against people that have faith and they don't want Christ to be known, so they push back. So we understand that. But one author pointed out that when you look at history itself, verified history, that the last century, it was the people who tried to destroy Christianity, hated any kind of religion, they were the ones that were documented to be the greatest abusers and the killers in that era. Take Hitler, the 20th century, Stalin, Mao, others. See, see people of, with socialism, communism background, they have no moral ground functionally to stand on. So I think we can push back on that issue a little bit. But here's another point, number three. Let me keep going here. Number three, we just need to admit that we still struggle with sin. Admit it to Uncle Bill. Look at James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. The point of chapter 2 here is that the people of faith will participate in genuine good works of Christ. But we can conclude from verse 2 there that James doesn't necessarily require perfection. He's understanding that. 
He's aware that Christians are going to walk in this world and they will stumble. That statement, we all stumble in many ways. And that's all of us. So we recognize that. So Uncle Bill, I'm not perfect. Every day I struggle with loving people well, especially you. No, we don't, we don't say that, okay? <laughs> Leave that one off. But folks, we do things that we don't want to do. We have to admit it. And Uncle Bill, the Bible is full of people who have admitted the same thing. Folks, this book doesn't gloss over history. It gives the strengths, the weaknesses, the the sinfulness of those that followed Jesus and were in love with God. Not perfect, but they admitted it. See, but that statement can lead to another statement for Uncle Bill. Number four, I said it this way. Our hypocrisy and our sinfulness proves that we need a Savior and we need forgiveness. Uncle Bill... My sinfulness, when I blow it, it just proves that I need Jesus because he's the one that deals with my sin and it shows that I need to be forgiven by God. See, what would Bill respond at that point where we admit it, that we need Christ? See, the the challenge is Bill lives in a world trying hard to live a perfect life. And we can tell Uncle Bill, that isn't the answer. See, we can tell people if one actually tried hard enough to be perfect and somehow could win the favor of God, do you realize we don't need Jesus? We don't need Christ. We don't need forgiveness if we can do it on our own. It's okay to actually express that. See, Uncle Bill, there's another reality of Jesus in his life and for me wanting to follow him. So let me give you a fifth point here as well. It's because of Jesus that we now have a target to aim for. I don't have it in your notes or even on the screen, but just listen to Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. See, it's because of Jesus and having a relationship with him that we actually have a model of what we're aiming for. Let me put a picture on the screen of a target board, a dart board. In the middle there is Jesus. We have something to aim for when it comes to what righteousness is, what it means to live like Christ. We aim and run toward him. But we recognize that without Jesus... Every anything goes. Without a truth, anything goes. And here's where I think we can push back a little bit, even with Uncle Bill. And let me show you the next slide. Is, is Uncle Bill, what is your standard? What's your standard, Uncle Bill? Uncle Bill, is it possible for your 
righteousness so you're not a hypocrite. You throw the dart on the wall and then you go draw a ring around it. See, that's easy to do. You'll hit the target every time. But we don't have a moving target. Christ is what we aim for. And we can admit that we mess up and that we miss the mark often. But do you realize there's a natural accountability with us in our lives because of Jesus, him being the model, the target that we're aiming for. But here's where I got to point out something. Realizing the call and calling out hypocrisy is actually, or at least most of the time, I got to clarify it, most of the time, it's a ploy to evade. They just don't want to talk about Jesus. See, actually, they're dodging the conclusion that the person of Christ is and he is the only way. They're dodging it. And the hypocrisy actually becomes a secondary issue in many ways. And here's the deal, I think, sometimes, when people try to evade, I think sometimes, and we don't know when, but I think we need to listen more carefully and allow the Spirit to even reveal this to us. Sometimes those people actually might be being touched by the Holy Spirit. And and they're trying to put off the Holy Spirit at that moment. See, we need to be open to engage actually more, not less. But I think we tend to run and step back. I don't know the answer. But what if we pressed in believing that maybe the Spirit is opening Uncle Bill's heart to a deeper relationship with him? See, if God puts that person in front of us, we at least got to stop and pray. And God, did you do this for a reason for us? But recognize the power of questions and ask him some of the questions. What is your standard? How do you know what hits the mark in terms of understanding salvation? See, but 1 Peter 3 again, coming back to our theme verse, ready to give a defense. It's that apologetic word. But the goal is not to cut off the conversation. Folks, the goal is Colossians 1.28, to present Uncle Bill complete in Christ. And a key piece might be just pressing into the conversation rather than pulling away. Let me just give another quick example here that I came across just to kind of give you one more tool here. For example, if a famous person, they were committed to taking care of the poor in this world and they were caught with heroin or meth, would it invalidate the need to take care of the poor? You throw everything out because of their so-called hypocrisy? And you go, no. See, there's a, the challenge is people want to use some smoke and mirrors at times in these discussions, but they want the target to shift. And just be aware of that. But what we want to do is keep bringing them back to Christ. We need, we need them to meet Jesus But folks, oftentimes when Christians pretend to have reached that plateau, that's when the charge of hypocrisy sticks. 
And that's where if we deny that we goof up, we deny that somehow that we're holier than that or we believe that we're holier than that, that's when hypocrisy does stick. But there's a critical issue for believers and a path that oftentimes people and churches can take that I got to address for a second here. And it's this, we begin to compare what particular sins, what moral sins are taking place in people's lives. And we begin to compare them to our goodness, our morality. And this is a path that too many Christians begin to compare and we begin to rate particular sins. And at that point, we move toward hypocrisy. But let me show you a passage, I think, that applies here. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the fertility of their minds, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former matter of life, and is corrupt through seedful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let me give you the last application that applies to this. Number six, we need to stop majoring on morality and instead seek Christ ourselves and allow him to change us first. See, the reality here, the greatest testimony is when people can see the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. And it's a transformed life. And that is the strongest testimony and apologetic that we've, we can do. And, but when we forget to seek Jesus, we start moving from relationship to religion. And it then becomes easy to slide into hypocrisy. We begin to focus on the morality of people. And this can take, by the way, this can happen. You can focus on people outside the church and even focus on people inside the church. But usually, I think usually it's outside. But we look at their moral behavior and it's easy to pass judgment and to pass condemnation. Now, I think inside we do the same at times. We look at certain doctrines and certain methods and definitions of the church, and we do the same. But our culture, we look around, and we give a subtle message, an outward change, that outward change is the most important thing. So what we do, we look at someone who struggles with homosexuality or some other really bad behavior, and we look at that as most sinful And we communicate, they need to change that behavior, then God will accept them. That's moralism at its core. See, we need to admit, with us, we have some sinful tendencies at times. Sometimes we are unable to naturally change on our own. And we're asking them to change on their own. It's impossible. And I think sometimes you want these people to repent without having a life-changing encounter with Jesus. The woman at the well, deeply broken. 
but she had to first have an encounter with Jesus. Then she was changed. See, Christ needs to make us totally new. And if we have any hope of change, it starts with what God does first. Go to John chapter 3 sometime when he talks to Nicodemus. You must be born again by the Spirit. That's when transformation can begin. But we're trying to put transformation on people who have never been born by the Spirit. You can't do it. And we need to stop rating which sins are really bad and which are acceptable. Homosexuality, really bad. Gossip and bitterness, it's kind of okay even in the church. See, I think we fail to recognize the broad understanding of sin. It's about the heart. It's about deep self-love, about our motives, our desires, where we're giving our love to. But when we blow it and focus on the outward, they will never see Jesus. And then at times, I think this has taken place. Some evangelical churches have been confused in this area. And they try to depend on enacting the right laws. Now, do I want the right laws? Yeah. But we've got to catch something there. Political lobbying and just having the right laws in the United States never gives the power to change hearts. And I think when we continually bombard people with that, it gives them the impression that we think we're better, as if God were pleased with our behavior all the time. Instead, I I think we need to, as God puts people in front of us, come alongside of people who are trapped in sin. See, when God puts someone in our path, can we pursue a deeper relationship with them at that point? Come alongside of them and love them with the, with the second part of the great commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. Let me give you an example, I think, that shows us how we rate sin and at times we get in trouble there. Say you have two neighbors, one on each side of you. On one side, the house next to you, on this side is a young couple, and you know what? They're really prone to way too much partying. And then you go to the other side of your house, and there's a couple that are gay. Which one will be easier to fulfill that great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself? Can we be honest? And that we would probably choose one that we would believe is easier? Do you see the challenge for us? But it starts with a changed life through the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. It's our love given to Christ that demonstrates Christ in our lives. So realize that in apologetics, it's easy to move toward a purely academic flavor. It's easy to forget that the kingdom of God is not advanced very often by winning a debate or having all our theological ducks in a row. It's about a life in Christ. See, it's really the foolishness of the cross. 
But that word apologia, the word gives a defense, that give a defense in 1 Peter 3. It's the hope that it's within us. And, and why? It's the witness of a reality of an event in our lives where Christ came in and changed us. So let me end with a quote. This is a man, Blaise Pascal. He was a French mathematician, physicist, inventor, died in 1662, 39 years old when he died. He, his works were in natural and applied science, uh, sciences. He made uh, contributions in study of fluids. Uh, he was dealing with pressure and vacuum back in, in the 1600s, okay? Smart dude, okay? Matter of fact, he was one of the first two that invented a mechanical uh, calculator. Look what he wrote. The heart has its re- reasons of which reason knows nothing. It is the heart which perceives God and not the reason alone. That is what faith is. God perceived by the heart, not by reason alone. The Christian God does not consist merely of a God who is the author of mathematical truths, but the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Christians is a God of love and consolation. He is a God who fills the heart, the soul and the heart of those whom he possesses. He is a God who makes them inwardly aware of their wretchedness and his infinite mercy, who united himself with them in the depths of their soul, who fills it with humility, joy, confidence and love who makes them incapable of having any other end but him what's he saying it's not always acceptance of god by the intellect see the the intellect it doesn't equal the embrace of god it has to be the heart Reason alone is insufficient to bring a person to reverse his hostility toward Christianity or toward Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that has to illuminate for people to see the cross and where Christ makes us righteous. And it's Christ that liberates us and gives us a new mind to know him beyond the intellect. Now, where did Pascal get that from Paul let me show you 1 Corinthians 2 Christian brothers when I came to you I did not preach the secrets of God with big sounding words or make it sound as if I was so wise I made up my mind that while I was with you I would speak of nothing except Jesus Christ and of his death on the cross when I was with you I was weak And I was afraid and I shook. What I had to say when I preached was not in big sounding words of a man's wisdom, but it was given in the power of the Holy Spirit. In this way, you do not have faith in Christ because of the wisdom of men. You have faith in Christ because of the power of God. When we seek him, folks, he changes our lives. As we look at the scriptures and say, God, I want to know you. Father, would you teach me about your son who reveals yourself in the scriptures? 
He changes us. And then at that point, we become an apologetic. I'm an apologist. From merely from God changing us. And you think of the potential that people can begin to look at our lives and they look, look at our relationships and look what kind of an employee we are and they see humility and a heart that begins to trust and they begin to see that Jesus is real, that he changed us. So as we focus this week, as you walk away from this place today, what are you aiming for? What's the bullseye in your life right now? Is it Jesus? Is it getting to know him? And allowing him to work deep within your heart and your soul? Because as you do that, you want to be with Uncle Bill. And you're not scared of it. Because you know with certainty that God has changed you. Not perfect. And when you blow it in front of Uncle Bill, you say, Uncle Bill, I just blew it. Would you forgive me? And I need the forgiveness of Christ. Just proves it again that I need a Savior. This week, aim at Jesus. Walk toward Jesus and you will become an apologist for Jesus in unique ways and then trust that God is going to bring people into your life and you make a difference and you're used by God. Let's stand and pray.